Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. My name is Debbie Reber, and I'm the host of the show, and I'm also the guest this week, as this is one of only a few solo cast episodes I've made over the past several years. I wanted to record this episode to talk to you about self-care. So if you've read my book or you regularly listen to this show, you know that I am a big proponent of self-care. I don't think it's even close to optional for parents raising atypical kids, and I also recognize that it can be a hard thing to make time for and to prioritize. I actually get asked a lot how I do this and what my self-care practice looks like. And so today, I'm going to be sharing with you 12 strategies and ideas for creating a sustainable, doable self-care practice. These are all things that I rely on and they work. So have a listen, and I've also created a printable PDF cheat sheet of these strategies in case you want to print them out and post them somewhere where you'll regularly see them and be reminded of the importance of prioritizing you. You can get that on the show notes page at tiltparenting.com slash session 143. Thanks again, and now here is my solo cast on self-care. Okay, so today we're going to talk about self-care. I haven't done an episode just on self-care before. I've mentioned it quite a bit. I have a chapter about it in my book, Differently Wired, but it is the middle of the darkest days of winter in the U.S. Many of us are in this polar vortex, which is really cold and has us uh, kind of huddled up inside And it can just be kind of a rough time of year. And many of you know that I'm kind of on the other end of this international move. And it's been tough. It's been a tough time around here in my house. And for me personally, I've been struggling. And so self-care is really an important aspect of my mental and emotional well-being. So I wanted to just spend this episode talking about that. I think that self-care gets kind of a bad rap because it seems a little, I don't know, frou-frou or self-indulgent or, you know, something that Oprah would talk about and that's about living your best life, but it's not necessarily realistic And when you look at the very busy lives that we're leading. So I wanted to just kind of talk about it from a more maybe practical perspective I get asked a lot how I juggle everything that I'm doing and manage to stay somewhat sane and most of the time in a good mental space. So I wanted to share my best strategies. So we'll talk about how I define self-care, what I think it means and why it's so important. And then I've gone through and really thought about all the things that I either currently do or have done in the past that have been so helpful. And so I'm going to share those with you because hopefully a few of them will resonate and you can build some more self-care into your life if you are someone who is struggling in this area. And from what I hear from listeners and people who are in the TILT community, there's a lot of you out there that are not prioritizing your own self-care. And 
And I hear from parents who feel guilty about that, feel bad about that. They know that they're not showing up for their family in the way that they could if they were spending more time, um, you know, just kind of tending to their own needs. Then I hear from parents who feel guilty for taking the time for themselves. So we want to get rid of the guilt. We want to kind of focus on what's important and see what we can do to bring a little bit more peace, perhaps some more calm, some more physical health, mental health, emotional health into our lives. When we can do that, I think there's no question that the whole family benefits. So I wanted to just start by just looking at self-care as a concept and sharing with you my definition for it. So I always say this when people ask me about it. I wrote this in my book, Self-Care does not necessarily mean going to the spa for the weekend. It doesn't require having money. It's not necessarily about these more extravagant activities that some people visualize, you know, massages or mani-pedis or um, whatever that might be. The way that I define self-care is there there are two criteria. So the first is that self-care needs to be about you. So self-care is something that you are doing because it is a positive thing for your life. It feels good. It nurtures you. It supports you. You being the, the key of that equation. It's not for anybody else. That doesn't mean that other people can't be involved. It doesn't mean that other people might not benefit. You know, going to a museum with your family Everyone can enjoy that, but if you're doing it because it feeds you, then that's self-care. So something that is focused on you, that's the first piece. The second piece, and this is just as if not more important, is that it needs to be intentional. I love the word intentional. I talk about setting an intention for your parenting life. I talk about setting an intention for the kind of relationship you want with your child. And the same goes for self-care. So when I say that self-care should be intentional, I'm talking about it being something that you are consciously doing for yourself because it's good for you. Whether that's verbalizing it and saying, today I'm going to do five minutes of yoga in the morning. You know, it's it's the choice. It's the putting your stake in the ground and saying, I am worth this time. I am worth this effort. So some of us do self-care things subconsciously, which isn't a bad thing, but there's something about that intention, that prioritizing ourself, that actually compounds the benefits that we get from what we're doing. So those are my two criteria. Something just for you, and something that's intentional. Beyond that, there's really no limit to what can qualify as self-care. You know, folding laundry is something I turn into self-care for myself. And now that I've watched uh, Marie Kondo's series on Netflix about tidying up, and I've mastered the uh, art of folding in Marie Kondo's way, It's actually kind of fun folding laundry, but for me, folding laundry means, hey, 15 minutes to watch something on Netflix. So 
that's intentional. It's just for me. I watch something that might not be appropriate for the whole family to watch or something my husband would not be interested in. And I'm also doing laundry. So that's just a little example. So what I wanted to do, now that we know what the definition or the criteria for self-care is something just for you and something that's intentional, I thought I would share with you some of my best strategies. Again, things that I've either done in the past or things that I currently do that for me fall under this category of self-care. Again, this is going to look different for everyone, but hopefully if you're not already practicing, this will give you some ideas. I also have made a PDF of all of these. So if you go to the show notes pages for this episode, you can print that out and tack it up. And it could be a reminder that self-care is actually something that you do have to prioritize, consciously choose to do it. Maybe commit to doing, you know, two acts of self-care every day, whatever it is. So, okay, let's, let's just dive in. So the first one is to listen to audiobooks. In the past year, I have signed up with audible.com. I know there are other ways you can actually get audiobooks from the library for free. Audible, I think is $9.99 a month, something like that, maybe $12.99 a month US. And it gives you one book a month, which often I let those credits accumulate. But I have now audiobooks on my phone. And I love having that book on there because it enables me to read, which I love to do. And I'm a super slow reader. It enables me to get through books that normally could take me months to get through. I'm also teaching Asher. As many of you know, I'm homeschooling him. And one of the only classes that I actually teach him, because a lot of the time I'm just kind of the school administrator. He does a lot of his classes online. My husband has taken over math. He has a couple other teachers that he Skypes with. So one of my only classes that I'm responsible for teaching is language arts or English literature. And so we are reading classics. Um, We choose a book and we go through it together. Right now we're reading Wuthering Heights. That's a long book. He will read it in a matter of days. It would probably take me two months at the the rate that I read because I tend to read while I'm lying in bed and that doesn't last long because I'm exhausted. So it's now a book that I've gotten on Audible. It's on my phone. And when I am running errands, I pop in my headphones and I listen to a book. It gets me out for long walks because I love that act of uh, listening or learning while I'm exercising. Sometimes I put it on while I'm cooking dinner. Uh, you know, it's just, or if I'm cleaning, audiobooks are a great thing. I just put, stick my phone in my back pocket and I have my headphones on. And then I'll just kind of get into a, a groove and clean the house while I'm listening to a book. So I'm a big fan of audiobooks. And if you're someone who likes to read, but like me has this giant pile of books on the bedside table and it takes you forever to get through them. This is another way, especially if there's kind of a book that you have to read for book club, or there's a book that everyone's reading and you want to be part of the conversation. This can be a great way to do that. So audiobooks. My next hack for doing this is to build micro self-care acts into everyday mundane things. So what do I mean by that? We all have our things that we have to do every day, whether that's 
driving our kids to school or, you know, picking up groceries or dropping things off at the dry cleaners or getting gas or, you know, whatever it is. We have things that are just part of our routine, emptying the dishwasher. So these are things that are reliable, consistent parts of our lives. So we've already got routines established around them. So what I try to do is think about those things that I have to do and consider ways in which I can weave in just a little bit of self-care into that act. So I talked about watching some Netflix while I'm folding clothes. That's an example of that. Um, if you're driving your kids back and forth to school, putting on whatever kind of music you like to jam out to, doing that intentionally, self-care, taking yourself through the Starbucks drive through and maybe getting some whipped cream on your latte, self-care. You know, just finding these these little things I spend a lot of time sitting with Asher when he's doing a school because as a kid with ADHD and some pretty severe executive functioning challenges, he gets distracted a lot when he's working on a project for class. And so what we do is we co-work. We'll sit on the couch together because if I can see his screen, I can kind of check in on him if he's going into a Wikipedia vortex, which happens often, or just kind of has some other tab open. And then next thing you know, he's completely immersed in something completely unrelated to what he's supposed to be doing. So if we're sitting next to each other on the couch, not necessarily where I would want to be working, but even just like getting the cozy throw and my slippers and making myself a cup of tea. Now, all of a sudden, I'm comfortable. I'm kind of taking care of some physical sensations. So I'm feeling really cozy. I've made some tea for myself. I offer to make him some tea as well. Now I've turned this kind of, you know, potentially school stress work situation into the two of us having tea together, which feels really nice. So it's a little thing, but it makes those, those moments, those kind of more mundane aspects of our day to day life together more fun. Or maybe I'll just say, let's move to another room. Let's, you know, I see there's a patch of sun on my bed. Let's go work in my bed for a little bit. So just finding ways to make something just a little bit more comfortable, cozy, fun, or just better (laughs) than what it would be if you were just kind of mindlessly moving forward on it. That kind of ties into my next strategy, and that's to loop your child into things that you like. So I just mentioned that sometimes I just make tea and we get cozy on the couch together. That's something that I have kind of, train is the wrong word because that sounds like I'm talking about a pet, but I have helped him develop a love of tea. And just that little thing that we share together is really nice. So now we have tea together or we can go out and have a tea together. And that's that's a nice thing that we share together. And that feels self-care-ish to me because it's something I like to do, I'm doing for me. And now the bonus is my child likes it too. Another thing that I know is really important for me is exercise and walking. I could just walk for hours a day. It just helps me process. It feels good on my body. It feels exhausting in a great way. I feel like it's good for the environment. Like it's a win-win all around. 
So that is something that I have gotten Asher involved with me. So now we walk together. It's become something that he's happy to do, except for on mornings like today when we're in the middle of a polar vortex and it's below freezing. It's a little rough, but we did get out for our walk today. But it's something we do together. It's still self-care for me. Another thing I've talked about this before is that I love doing jigsaw puzzles. It's very meditative for me. It's a way that I can de-stress. And so we have created this routine where after dinner, some nights, we will just put on a podcast. He gets to choose which is fine. He's got good taste in podcasts. Right now we're doing a lot of radio labs and sometimes the skeptic's guide to the universe. And then we'll just work on a jigsaw puzzle. Oftentimes, maybe a third of the way through the podcast, he'll start working on the puzzle and he'll just sit on the couch and listen. But I'll continue working on the puzzle, which for me, I could spend hours doing that. I might normally feel guilty spending an hour working on a jigsaw puzzle when I have so many other things to do. But... We're spending time together. We're learning together. I'm showing him that there are other things that you can do besides plug into your computer and zone out with the television. It always sparks interesting conversations. So for me, there's so many wins in that. But that's something that it's really about me. I love a good jigsaw puzzle, and I always will. But now it's something we do together. It's a great family time. So think about things that you really like to do? And how can you get your child involved in those things so that you can be meeting that need for yourself while still supporting your family and even deepening relationships with your kids and your partner if you have a partner? We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. 
They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Kind of related to that then is music. Music is amazing. This is something I've been trying to share with Asher as he's, you know, in the adolescent years, which are a little moodier than the tween years were, and trying to help him experience the power of music to shift your mood or to kind of transport you into a different place. So that works so well as an intentional self-care act too. I'm sure this is no newsflash for any of us out there, but sometimes we forget about it, you know? We can be in a bad space or really just cranky or having a bad week, feeling really stressed, and sometimes just reminding yourself of the power of music and then putting on a song. All it takes sometimes is one song that can completely shift how you're feeling and feel like a gift. So the song that I'm really into right now, I've moved on from... Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling, although that phase lasted a good year and a half, I will say. In fact, my husband would put it on just to watch me spaz out because as soon as the it started, I would begin very badly dancing. And there may or may not be video evidence of this, but I will never share that publicly. (laughs) The song I'm listening to now is from The Greatest Showman, the soundtrack of the, the movie with Hugh Jackman. And it's the song This Is Me which is a song that the whole cast sings, but Keala Settle is the one who has the lead in it. And it is such a good song. It's positive and it's beautiful and it makes you want to dance. And uh, it's so good. I could listen to it over and over. Sometimes I do, much to my family's chagrin, but there you go. But it is a complete mood shifter for me. It can take kind of a putting away the dishes moment and turn it into... The whole house is lit up with joy and inspiration. It's so simple. So again, I know this isn't news to you. We all know the songs that inspire us or make us happy, but we often forget that that's a tool. So the strategy then for this is to maybe even take a minute to write down five songs that you know have the power to completely shift your mood. So for me, it's This Is Me. I think Justin Timberlake still fits in there. Um, I love Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. I love really any song from the musical Rent. So think about what those songs are for you. Make a list. Maybe make a little playlist on Spotify. Maybe just say, okay, I'm going to listen to my happy music first thing in the morning every day. You know, think about ways to actually intentionally let music be a part of your self-care practice. 
And now a quick interruption for a break from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash tiltparenting and browse the selection of audio programs, download a free title, and start listening. Audible content, which I already mentioned earlier in this podcast, I'm a big fan of, includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. It's also, incidentally, the publisher of the audio version of Differently Wired. So if you've been wanting to listen to my book but haven't purchased it yet, you can use that free credit to download that. Or, of course, you can pick up any book of your choice for free. To download your free audiobook today, just go to audibletrial.com slash tiltparenting. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash tiltparenting. And now back to the show. Another self-care strategy, simple to do, but just takes little intention is to think about areas where you might be feeling like you're in a rut and make a little change to your routine. So there's something to be said for shaking things up that can bring kind of a lightness or a freshness or a sense of new possibility and things that might otherwise feel boring and like we're almost on autopilot when we do it. So again, we talked earlier about these regular things that we always have to do. So what kind of routines do you have that might be feeling like it's the same thing every day? There's no joy to be found in this. There's no way to weave in self-care. And how can you tweak that? How can you change that routine so that it could feel a little bit more in alignment with the things that make you happy? You know, maybe you do movie night on Saturday nights. And that's a really lovely time for your family. Maybe it's feeling like it's not as fun anymore, or it's uh, you've been getting pl- the same pizza place every every Saturday night for the past two years. So how could you change that? Maybe you make pizza together one night as a family. Maybe you eat on the floor, you lay out a big picnic blanket. Maybe you make sushi together. I don't know. Just finding a way to spark a little newness to get out of that rut can feel like it opens things up, it creates more possibility. And when you're doing that intentionally, that is a really nurturing thing. Okay, moving on. Next strategy is related to Julia Cameron's work, The Artist's Way. So many of you may be familiar with her book, which was published, gosh, I don't know, 25 or more years ago, called The Artist's Way. And it's about intentionally living a more creative life. And her book's fantastic. If you haven't read it and you're looking to weave more creativity into your life, definitely check it out. It's like a 12-week program with activities to do every week to have a more creative existence. But one of the things I wanted to share with you today that she recommends is something called doing a weekly artist date. The artist date is very simple. It is one day a week doing something an hour, two hours, three hours tops, where you are going to a new environment, a new place, doing something in a new way by yourself to expose yourself to new inspiration, to new creative stimuli, to a new environment. So it really feeds your soul in a way that most of us just don't take the time to do. So here's what that might look like. An artist date might be It might be going to a museum. It might be, you know, a new exhibit that you've been really wanting to see. 
and saying, you know what, Sunday, I'm going to take from two to four and just take myself to that museum and enjoy that exhibit. That's an example. It could be doing a drawing class. It could be, it could be going for a walk in a park by yourself. Uh, it could be going to an independent bookstore and just giving yourself time to really kind of scan through the books on the table, the recommended reads from the bookstore owners, um, seeing what's new, sitting in the cafe and having a, a coffee. So it can be very simple. It can be free. Again, it can just be going for a walk by yourself in a new place. It can be window shopping. It can be anything but it's something you do by yourself in a new place, a new environment, so that you can be exposed to new stimulation, to new information, visual, sensory information that can inspire you. So artist states are so powerful. I do them every week and they really make a big difference in making you feel like, you know what, I'm still me. I've still got things to learn. I still get inspired by things and I'm not defined by my life with my child or even my role in my family. I'm still an individual and I have needs and I'm taking care of those needs. Next self-care strategy is just going to mention this quickly. Exercise. 10 minutes a day will make a big difference. Exercise can happen anywhere. I don't go to a gym. I really am not a gym person at all. Many of you know that I'm a runner. Right now, it's been hard running outside. I only get out maybe two days a week to, to do a run. But I have YouTube. So my exercise might be going to my favorite YouTube channel, which is Yoga with Adrian. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And just choosing a yoga routine from her hundreds and hundreds that she offers on there, anywhere from five minutes long to an hour and a half, and doing yoga by myself. Um, the people who we bought the house from left their old treadmill in the basement, which I didn't touch for a while because I didn't even know if it worked. And also, we have a really low ceiling in our basement, so I can't really run on it. But then I was like, wait a minute, I can watch something like last week's episode of The Bachelor while I'm walking on the treadmill and that feels great all around. So I'm getting exercise and I'm also feeding another self-care need, which is my unabashed love of reality television. So that exercise is really, especially this time of year, it's so important for our well-being. So whether it's, you know, even doing that New York Times seven-minute routine that was kind of circulating around on social media. I'll leave a link to that as well. Seven minutes, a series of little exercises, push-ups, sit-ups, just things you can do in your bedroom, in your pajamas, don't require any equipment. That goes a long way towards taking care of yourself. You'll feel like you're doing something for yourself. You will be taking care of your health and it gives you the good hormones, the good uh, things happening in your body to boost your mood. So 10 minutes, whatever it looks like for you, walking to the store instead of driving, whatever it looks like, it's totally worth it. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. 
But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com club. That's tiltparenting.com club. I hope to see you on the inside. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Next. Read something for pleasure for 10 minutes a day. So this is something that Dan Pink, who's one of my favorite authors and kind of thought leaders and and how to do things more efficiently and be more productive. He shared this tip recently. And I love this tip. Because I again, I mentioned earlier, I love to read. I'm a super slow reader. I often have things I have to read for work, which takes me a while, you know, if I have a guest on the show, and I want to read their book. So that's something I'm always reading. And then I've got to read these books for Asher, uh, for our English literature class together, which I often listen to. But I usually save my personal reading for when I'm laying in bed, at which point, like literally two pages in and I'm asleep, I'm falling asleep with the book on my forehead. So Hence, it takes me a long time to get through a book. And so what Dan Pink recommends is spending 10 minutes a day, actually just reading, setting aside that time, making it actually part of your day. So I'm working on this practice, but I think it's a really, really good one. And this could be having a book in your car with you so that if you are waiting for your child to pick up, or maybe your kids at little gym or something, bring that book with you you know, just set aside time. Maybe it's while you're having breakfast. Maybe, maybe it's just in the middle of the day. You say, okay, every day at 1.30, you know, if you're not working out of the home 
Every day at one o'clock, I'm going to sit on this cozy chair and I'm going to read for 10 minutes and that's it. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but there's something again, really satisfying to dedicating that time to something that you enjoy, something that you can potentially learn from, something that is, again, just for you. So reading 10 minutes a day, if you end up trying that, let me know. For me, it's a really good habit to be building, again, because I love to read and I'm one of those people who has books everywhere. And when I walk in a bookstore, I get overwhelmed but I also have this deep desire to read everything. So this makes me feel like I'm working towards that goal. All right, I've got two more strategies I'm gonna share. One is to learn how to say no to time sucks. So I don't know about you, but I used to be really good at overcommitting myself. I volunteered for things. I always felt this responsibility to get involved, whether it was, you know, a committee on the PTA or volunteering for for an organization. You know, before I started Tilt, I used to do a lot of volunteering with girls organizations. I was on the board of the Seattle Girls School and I was a teacher and mentor for Girls on the Run. And, you know, that's just part of how I'm wired is I'm always wanting to get involved in volunteer efforts. And I've had to learn how to say no. And that is such a gift to myself. It's still a muscle that I'm practicing. And in fact, you know, in this role, I get asked a lot for people who want to just jump on the phone or they want my advice on things. And as much as I want to do that, I also don't have the time and I don't necessarily have the emotional energy to be that person for so many people. And so I've really had to learn how to set boundaries. Again, uncomfortable, but a muscle I am learning how to flex. And it is such a gift for myself to say no to certain coffee invites or to say no to conversations that I don't have the energy for right now. And so this is a big one because when we are over committing ourselves or we're involved in things that take up our precious, valuable time and energy, we're depleting ourselves And there isn't an infinite amount of time in the day. We have to make choices. And so when we're prioritizing others' needs ahead of our own, that is not a zero-sum game. And eventually it's going to catch up with us. We might feel resentment towards the organization or the group that we're volunteering for. We might start to resent ourselves. We might start to just feel bad about ourselves, resentful about the fact that we don't have enough time. So. This is where it can be really helpful to just assess what you've got going on. What what are your commitments? Are there things that you are involved in that don't, you know, I'm going to use Marie Kondo's word, but that don't spark joy? Are there things you're doing because you feel obligated to do them? But if you really had your druthers, you would not be involved in them. So It's worth it to assess the state of you and where your time is being spent and think about, first of all, are there things here that I can eliminate? Are there things that I can take off my plate? Even if it would disappoint someone else, are there things I can take off my plate to give myself a little more time and remind myself that my needs come first? I want to say that again, your needs come first. If you're listening to this, most likely you're parenting a child with a lot of needs. 
and your needs still come first. You have to take care of yourself in order to really show up for your child. That's just the way it is. And that's a hard thing for many of us to wrap our heads around because we are, you know, conditioned to give everything for our child, to sacrifice everything for the sake of our kids. But if we sacrifice ourselves, we won't have anything to share with our kids. We're going to model a lack of self-worth to our children. And that is not what we want them to see. We want them to see someone who takes care of themselves. We want them to see someone who cares about themselves so much that they'll stand up for what they need. That is such a valuable lesson for our kids. So we have to put our needs first. So really, again, taking stock of what's happening and what you're involved in and eliminating things that don't spark joy, that don't feed you, that don't give back to you, and that actually drain energy and time from you is such a gift to yourself and to your family. And then start evaluating new invitations to do things through that same lens. So you're not obligated to say yes to an invitation. You're not obligated to do something if it's something you don't really want to do and you're doing it just to to kind of control how somebody else feels. So, you know, I know maybe you've read Shonda Rhimes' book, Year of Yes, which I love. It's actually one of my favorite nonfiction books in recent years. And that was all about saying yes to life, right? Saying yes to things, taking chances. And I do love that philosophy. And there's something really, really powerful in saying no. So think about what's happening in your life. Think about ways that you might actually be able to build more no's into your daily life, which is really, in fact, saying yes to yourself. Okay, so I'm going to get to my last strategy here. I realize I've shared a lot with you today, but I'm hoping that this is getting some seeds planted for even if it's just little changes that you can make to build a little bit more self-care into your life. So the last one is an important one. And this is really specifically for people who are living with a partner. I know we have many listeners who are single parents, and this may not apply to you in the same way. But if you're living with a partner, it's really important that you are honest with your partner about what you need in terms of your self-care. And I'm going to give you an example of what this looks like in my life. So as I've mentioned, this has been a really challenging transition for me. And I've been feeling down, you know, I'm not, I'm someone who typically can find the positive in in most things. And this move has been challenging that. And I, and I definitely have been feeling a little depleted. And I know that exercise is really great for me. And I know that being alone as an introvert, who's home with her child all day long, being alone is really the best thing I can do for myself. So this past weekend, I woke up Saturday morning, probably nine o'clock. My husband was already up. Darren was upstairs in his office. I think Asher was still sleeping in because that's what teens do apparently on Saturdays, which is great. And it was freezing out. And I was like, oh, what do I want to do? Do I want to do yoga? Do I want to have a lie in and just stay in bed and read for a while? And I was like, you know what? The sun's out. I should get out for a run. I'll feel so much better if I've done that. So I sent Darren a text because I guess that's how we communicate now when he's upstairs and I'm downstairs. I sent him a text and I said, I'm going to go for a run. 
My husband also runs, and he's not someone who would necessarily go out and run by himself, but he often likes to join me on runs. So he came downstairs and he's like, do you want company? And I just looked at him and I said, no. I said, I know that you could use a run and I, and I kind of feel bad saying this, but I really just want to be alone. Is that okay? You know, that's a hard thing for me to say. Again, I know he, he needed the run. He needed to get out there. And some days I would say, yeah, you know what? Come on, come with me. And we do run together a lot. But on this day, I really just needed to be by myself. I needed to run by myself. I needed to process things. I just wanted to be alone. And so I told him that. And was he disappointed? I'm sure he was a little disappointed. And he also knows that I was asking for what I need. And he understands that. This is stuff that we've talked about and kind of figured out about each other over the years. But that's still a hard thing for me to do is to to ask for what I need. But when I don't, I grow resentful. When I don't do that, then I can, again, I'm not prioritizing my needs. I'm pri- I would have been pr- prioritizing his needs. I still would have gotten the physical exercise, which would have been great, but it wouldn't have fed me and given me what I really needed. So again, this is like most of these things, a muscle. So developing that muscle and practicing asking for what you need. And this might be a conversation that you have with your partner and just kind of say up front, listen, I've noticed that I'm not prioritizing my needs the way that I need to, and it's taking a toll. So I'm going to be working on asking for what I need. And that might look and feel different to you. And I just want you to know I'm not doing it to hurt your feelings. I'm I'm doing it because I'm really trying to take care of myself so I can be a healthier, happier, more present parent and partner. So if you haven't ever had that conversation, it's worth having. And, you know, it might open up a bigger dialogue about what your partner needs to be doing as well to take care of themselves. But this is a really important one. And it's something that, again, it can actually strengthen a relationship. It can strengthen a family. You can even do this in front of your children. And then once again, you are modeling this self-worth. You're modeling this skill, this tool of recognizing what you need and advocating for it in a respectful, loving, compassionate way. So I think that's what I've got to share with you today. I know I shared a lot. Again, I've made a PDF of all of these strategies. So if you want to just print it out and tack it somewhere where you'll see it, maybe it can serve as a little reminder of how great it can feel to intentionally do a self-care act for yourself every day, one or two acts. And maybe that's a commitment you make to yourself today. Maybe if self-care isn't something that's a part of your regular routine, you might just say, you know what? Okay, one thing a day, that's it. One thing just for me that I'm going to intentionally do and just see how that changes your life. Even if it brings a little bright spot for a small moment of your day, that kind of thing adds up. The benefits can be exponential. So good luck. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, as always, being on this journey with me knowing that you're on the other end of this conversation. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for all the lovely messages of support that so many of you are sending me. 
wishing us well in our transition. It means a lot, and I really appreciate it. Take care. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including a link to download the PDF with my top self-care tips, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 143. A quick reminder that my book Differently Wired is now available as an audiobook narrated by yours truly. To listen to a sample or to purchase it, just go to amazon.com or audible.com. If you haven't seen my TEDx talk called Why the Future Will Be Differently Wired, you can find it on the homepage of Tilt Parenting at tiltparenting.com or on YouTube. TED Talks, as you probably know, are all about ideas worth spreading, and I'm asking for your help spreading this one. I wrote the talk to challenge employers, colleagues, community members, and other people in our lives who may not be raising differently wired kids to consider the importance of neurodivergence and specifically our kids in our society. I'd love your help spreading the word to these audiences. Thank you so much. Lastly, don't forget to leave a rating or a review or both for Tilt Parenting on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help keep this podcast visible in an ever-growing sea of podcasts. So thank you so much for taking the time to support the show. And that's all for this week. Thank you again for listening. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.